What impact do barrels have on the spirits you produce? The answer, as we probably all know, is far-reaching. The type of wood, the barrel's previous contents, the level of char, and the time the liquid spends in the vessel are just some of the factors in play here. And when it comes to whisky aging, we can break the process down to the stages of extraction, oxidation, evaporation, filtration, and maturation. To learn more about this, and also the broader effects barrels can have on aging drinks such as beer, we recently invited two experts to speak on the matter. Since 2010, Proof Drinks have built an exceptional business model to ensure they're always at the forefront of the industry. The company's aim is to develop brands using their expert knowledge of the on-trade, elevating them to be as exciting and appealing as possible. And one such business they work with is Heaven Hill, which owns the largest single-site bourbon distillery to still be family-owned and operated. Chris Smith is a Heaven Hill brand ambassador, and he has spent nearly a year living, breathing and educating people about bourbon, rye and corn whiskey. At a panel hosted by the award-winning Melissa Cole during our recent Brewers Congress event in London, Chris was joined by Alex Lippens. Alex is the co-founder of Brauerie Vazette based in Anzigem, Belgium. Together, they share their expertise when it comes to working with barrels. Experiences that can be creative, complex, but always rewarding. Right, gentlemen, would you like to introduce yourselves, please? Yes, my name is Chris and I'm from Heaven Hill Distillery. Hello, I'm uh, Alex Lippens uh, from Brouwerheid Verzet from Belgium. I, ne I never quite figure out whether the T is very, very silent or completely <laughs> silent or just I can't pronounce it. It's just that Verzet that, yeah, it's is D Verzet. D yeah, yeah, it's a grammatical uh, ah, shitty thing. That's why my ear doesn't pick <laughs> yeah. up. Thank you. I probably should have said this before we came out. Anyway, never mind. Um, so, guys, um, there is a, always going to be a difficult moment where I'm, where I'm going to be asking you to talk about wood. So, um, <laughs> this, is, this, is a, this is a thing here that, that we're actually, we, we, like, barrel aging and blending has been going on forever, whether it's in brewing, whether it's in distilling, whether it's in mm -hmm. winemaking, whether it's in mead, um, sake, it's always been a part of the alcoholic makeup so I think for me firstly Chris obviously Heaven Hill is a deeply iconic mm -hmm. brand um, the product is beautiful um, so I'd really like to just sort of get a sense of you know, you see a lot of beers that say oh aged in Heaven, Heaven Hill barrels but nobody really sort of, sort of says actually why in specific do they choose Heaven Hill barrels so can you talk a little bit about the process that goes on in the distillery that can actually lead to such a beautiful product? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the main reasons, I mean, I'm not sure how much people here know much about American whiskey at all, because we're at a Brewers Conference, but... I, I'm guaranteeing you that they've all drunk <laughs> yeah, And if not, you will do by the end of this <laughs> evening. But one of the major points about American whiskey is it will always go into a brand new charred oak barrel. So because of that, we have a lot of them. So one of... Honestly, one of the first and foremost reasons is we use those barrels once and then we need to get rid of them. And us alone, we are the second biggest producer of bourbon in the world. We currently have two million barrels aging in Kentucky right now. We started in 1935 and we filled our 10 millionth barrel about a month ago. So we have lots and lots of barrels. 
that we can use once and then we need to get rid of them basically. So first and foremost, we are an easy place to come to to get barrels from. Second of all, we're obviously adding a hell of a lot of flavor to those barrels. Another part of using them for the first time is that we will char the inside of them and that will have two effects. First of all, you're charring it, so you're adding flavor that way. But also you really start to caramelize the sugars in that barrel. So if you ever think of like snapping a twig or cutting a tree or anything like that and you're getting sap out of that tree, they are sugars that are in that wood. And as you burn the inside of that barrel, you caramelize them. And as we add our whiskey to that barrels, it sits in there, it breaks those down and we will take a lot of those flavors out. But think of it like, uh, like a tea bag is always the kind of expression I say. We'll use it for the very, very first time and we're getting a lot of those tannins, those celluloses, hemicelluloses, all of those delicious flavors. But once we're done with it, we're also imparting a big amount of whiskey flavor into that barrel at the end. So the combination of, we have lots to move on, but we're also adding and changing that barrel so much and we're giving lots and lots of flavor to it that it's then gonna be super useful. Like they go to Ireland and Scotland for whiskey and obviously they travel the world and end up in lots of delicious, delicious beers as well. It's perfect. I have to say that, that one of my favorite things when somebody says, oh, I've got a fresh barrel in and we could, if I'm going to do a collab at a brewery, my first comment is do not open it. <laughs> do not open it until I get there. Because for some reason, the majority of brewers haven't figured out that if you get a coffee filter and empty what's in the barrel into, in through the coffee filter and then filter it again, you get the booze. I mean, you've got all the flavor in the barrel. You don't need that extra booze. What you get is cask strength booze, which is what you drink with some hot words in the morning. Right, everybody? <laughs> yes? Oh, good. I thought it was just me for a minute. That was, that was going to be a bit concerning. So, um, Alex, obviously, people uh, very much look over to the continent, particularly to, to Belgium and to, and to, to greater extent, lesser extent, slightly Holland as well, or the Netherlands, pardon, is that actually barrel aging is something that, that very much is what you do. And certainly I know you guys are very proud of your Bruns. So what is it for you that you look for when you are sourcing barrels? And are there any great tips that you can give to people who want to brew those styles of beer so that they get the right kind of barrels and the right sort of aging and blending profiles? Uh, so for us, I think as brewer, you have to think beforehand what you want to get out of a barrel. Uh, we're not into a search of big tannins. So uh, virgin barrels is not a thing for us. So uh, uh, we use a lot of red and uh, white wine barrels because we make Flemish red, like uh, Rodenbach is like uh, the big brand, uh, even in the world of that beer style. So uh, we want to make our own version uh, of that style. And uh, we, uh, we look into the wine world uh, for that, uh, because we don't want to have like a boozy flavor in our Oud Bruins. Uh, but it depends on what you want to get in as an end result. And you have to do tests uh, and uh, check what's working for you, what, uh, if you get the re requirement tastes. And yeah. it's just for us by trial and error that we find out which barrels that we want to use. I think 
uh, in, in my experience, there's a lot of people who will just say, well, I'm going to put it in a barrel and it will be great. I mean, from your perspective, obviously, you're saying trial and error, but what have been your um, uh, like best or maybe biggest mistakes? What was, what was the worst mistake you made with a barrel that, I don't know, did you, did you get too tannic a red wine barrel or did you, you get one that was too old and you didn't get any, any value? What, what, what was the biggest mistake that you made? Uh, as a barrel... Um... Barrel choice. The barrel choice in mistakes or uh, yeah. for oh, us? Or either, yeah. yeah. Uh, the biggest mistake is uh, not looking after your barrels. Uh, you have to, uh, I hate the world barrel program, like it's a, <laughs> like a money game, something. Uh, but you have to really manage your barrels and not sell uh, a shitload of barrels and not having a plan. Uh, you have to uh, have a plan using them, reusing them in our uh, place. Well, some brewers only use a barrel once or twice, but we keep on our oldest barrel as 10 years old. So, but you have to have also an idea when they're empty, how to clean them, how to stock them until they're refilled. And you can do a lot of things wrong uh, when they're empty. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, Chris, it must pain you when you come across a beer that's been aged in a heaven hill barrel and say for example they've let it dry out it's got infected and then you've got an infected <laughs> beer that with the, like there's an overlaid thing is there is there anything that you do a, a, as, a, as a distillery to sort of follow up with it or is it once they're out in the wild they're out in the wild um honestly pretty much once we obviously have partnerships with certain different people around the world and we will work with them when they go on but to be honest the vast majority of them it's kind of once they're gone they're gone because as I say we're churning through so many of them if yeah. you were to there's every I mean I used to run a pub and we ended up getting hold of a whiskey barrel once and they certainly wouldn't have known who we were from across the world do you know yeah. what I mean so it would be an, a, an entire team's worth of people just to check them as long as they as far as they went out from then on it, it'd be a wonderful experiment to do see I, feel, I feel like that, there we go went, that, that's, that's one for you <laughs> so it's like, it's like hello the heaven hill helpline <laughs> um, so, but, but i think that, that also i mean uh, when the distillery gets like even the, the you know the virgin charred barrels in is there a process they do is it, is it making sure that they stay damp or even after they've been charred do they get so that the wood doesn't dry out and or is it immediate fill Again, because of the volume we're going through, most of the time it's going to be pretty much immediate fill. We have three different cooperages that we work with, and we've worked with them for generations as well. So that relationship is so strong that we know exactly what we're getting, when we're getting. We're ordering to order as much as yeah. we possibly can because, you know, we can't just make whiskey overnight. We're having to plan how much you guys are going to drink in four, six, eight, ten years' time. So. There's a fair amount of we're kind of putting stuff down as soon as we're ready to do it, pretty much. So as far as actually caring for those barrels, we work with incredible cooperages and we know exactly what we're getting from them. And as soon as they arrive, they are getting filled with whiskey and they're going straight to aid. Oh, Coopers, we remember those. <laughs> um, actually, that's a good question. Is, uh, is, there, a, is there a strong uh, presence of like barrel makers in that you tap into or if a barrel breaks down is a barrel is gone um i only once did like with the help of youtube a movie of a french oh. uh, <laughs> cooper did it myself and it's not my trade uh, <laughs> it's incredibly uh, difficult so we 
we do like a hack and just uh, when we empty the barrels, uh, clean them uh, as fast as possible and refill them. And then yeah. that's the hack of not having shit with barrels. Yeah. And if they do, um, Peter Bukart from New Belgium Breweries, he's like, uh, and together with Frank Boon, they know how to stop bleeding or how do you say it? But uh, we're not there yet. Yeah. Uh, but we have our ages uh, in front of us that maybe have those hacks too. Uh, yeah. But if a barrel goes too south, we say goodbye to it. I, I think that one of the things I, um, I was talking to a brewery who does a lot of aging of these things, and it's one of the things I, 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 find, I find odd that, that breweries can be um, a little slow about thinking about extra ways to make money for themselves. And one of the things I said is, so why don't you sell? Why don't you just literally just take a plane, plane it all up as Joe, or just chop them up, whatever, and sell them to a big premium of, of barbecuing chips? Because the overlap between barbecue bros and beer bros, huge. And you can sell it to them at an absolute premium as well. You chop up those chips, you can say, like, one stave. I reckon you can earn at least 50 quid out of that, or 55 euro. So anyway, just a thought. I mean, we have that with some, plenty of our barrels end up going to, they go to Austin, they go to Texas, yeah. and there are many companies out there that make furniture, they mm -hmm. will turn it into barbecue chips, they yeah. are burning the staves to smoke meat with, yeah. and all these kind of things, like whatever you can do with a barrel, you can yeah. think of, you can do, so. Yeah, I mean, it would make a nice change if maybe you turned it into furniture instead of having to sit on pallets in breweries. <laughs> but, you know, are we past No, we're not past that yet. Um, so I'm going to throw any questions out to the floor. Anybody want to ask a question? Oh, oh, oh hello. Um, Tim, microphone. <clears throat> Over here. Hey guys, thanks for the nice talk. Um, I was just wondering, maybe you, you two could, uh, if it's by any means possible, put a percentage on how much do you think your production of, for you distilling and making the right cut, and for you making good beer, and the barrel, between those two factors, how, what would you say like the barrel does 20% for the beer or like 80% for the distilled product? Or what, what's the, what's the percentage of influence on the end result? So for American whiskey in particular, because of the aging climate you have in Kentucky, because you're using those brand new barrels each time and charring the inside of them as well, the, the final part of your aging and maturation will have anywhere up to 50% of your final flavor, as opposed to something like scotch, where you're gonna be aged in a, a cooler climate for a lot longer, and you're gonna be using used barrels, your actual kind of mash bill, your grain and your yeast, and whether you use a pot still or a column still, that's gonna have much more of an impact on your flavor. Ours kind of almost dominates at the end. You've got that char, you've got those, char, those caramelized sugars. You are aging it in rick houses that can change in temperature massively. And even floor by floor, your whiskey is gonna be different. Even the ones that are by the windows at the side compared to the middle will be very, very different. And that skill then comes in your master distiller and your blender, how you take those whiskies, or more accurately, how you take those distillates and turn them into your final whiskies and brands. But their distiller's rule of thumb is they go by, as they say, it'll be up about 50% 
of the final flavour is pretty much down to the barrel as opposed to your ingredients and how you make it. That's really interesting. So, Alex, what would you what would you say? I never thought about it, but thank you. Now I had time to think about two minutes. <laughs> uh, I think for us with our brune, uh, it, it's twenty percent uh, because also you have the wild yeast inside uh, and combining with the wood. Also, when you reuse a barrel, that's your culture, your own culture inside. It takes. Uh, an effect so I think for us it's only 20% uh. yeah it's interesting to kind of see that that, that was a, effectively an inverse relationship between the two I think it's also because it's you know different things higher alcohols mm -hmm. less higher alcohols things like that your fusels but going off over aging positive oxidation curve is a lot slower in whiskey a lot quicker and, and, and also much more of a sign a close sine wave in in beer as well so all of those things are absolutely fundamental but i loved the fact that you basically gave the same answers in a different way um ladies and gents i'm sorry in order to keep the schedule on schedule i'm afraid that's the only question we have time for so can we have a huge round of applause for chris and alex please thank you so chris you're gonna to have to leave the stage because firstly your nail polish is, is better than anything i've got on right now and i've got earring envy as well The Distillers Journal podcast is a production of Reby Media. Produced and hosted by Tim Sheehan. Sound engineering by Ross McPherson. Series supervision by John Young. The executive producer is Rory Harris. And special thanks to Melissa Cole, Alex Lippens and Chris Smith. <laughs> <laughs>